I've been so reading about revival. In a study that I read about revival, it was funny because it said, what does revival, how does revival look? And the verses that were referred to were at the end of Acts chapter 2. And what a blessing it is to be in a house where so many of those markers of what a healthy church is are present here. You may be seated. to be with you today. This entire week, I, I told my wife, I'm ready, I'm ready to roll on revival. Halfway through the week, I told her, I'm ready to roll on deliverance. <laughs> At the end of the week, I came across study by Pastor Craig Rochelle that rocked me on Elijah. <laughs> and so given that we have no more time for me to change my mind about things, we're going to roll on Elijah this morning. I know that ladies have done studies about Elijah, very powerful. But this one hit me, and I hope that it speaks to your heart as well. Elijah, we read about him. The first time we hear his name is in 1 Kings 17, some context of the time that Elijah lived. The northern kingdom had gone through 19 evil kings. That's 200 years of terrible rule. Currently, they were under a king named King Ahab. He was evil. His wife Jezebel was quite possibly the most wicked woman who had ever lived. Here was a description, king. He did more evil in the eyes of God than any of those who were before him. It was a time of idolatry. It was a time when kings could influence the people for either good or evil, and it would have these terrible consequences. It was a time when there was Baal worship, when there was Asherah worship. There was a time when the worship involved child sacrifice, when the temples, temple worship involved temple prostitutes. He was more evil than anyone who had gone before him. And God came to a point where God said, enough is enough. You know, and we like to think in the God story how God's going to do what God's going to do. And instead of God putting together an army to overthrow this king, he does something different. He raises up one person. When we talk about revival, how grand it would be to see tens of thousands of people laying on their face before God. But God's about relationship, and he's about the one. He's about the one. Because I'll tell you what, when someone gives their heart to Jesus Christ in that moment with the one, that's the most important thing in this room. The one. He's still looking for that one. What could it be? It could be that one nurse who's going to step up. That one teacher who's going to begin to live out revival in their school the one manager, the one counselor, the one realtor, the one shift leader, the one finance expert, the one contractor, the one chef, the one mom, the one dad. 
In this house, he's looking for the one that's going to step up, the one who's going to take that word righteousness to a whole new level, the one who's going to live integrity in a way that the world has not seen before. God often raises up that one person to make such a huge difference. Elijah, when we read about him in these verses, if it was an instruction manual, it could be called the making of the man of God or the making of the woman of God. Elijah's name, it's broken down into three roots. The first one comes from Elohim or God. The second one is a very personal, very personal pronoun pointing to self. And the third one is Yah, coming from Jehovah. Literally, his name means the Lord is Jehovah. My God is Jehovah. The Lord is my God. His very name was a testimony. One of the things I was talking with people, there are times when we feel like our very identity is a source of shame. But the God that we serve and the name that he calls you by is not a source of shame. And it's time to get back to that place in confidence of God that we know who we are in him. Elijah's calling, it was to go before that king, to stand down that king. He had turned so many against God, the land was a wreck. And so in 1 Kings 17 and 1, this man Elijah, we really don't get any background on the guy, just where he's from. When I went to college, at Lee College at the time, people made fun of me because I was from the north. And whenever they'd see me, they'd be like, oh, look, it's Bab from Ohio. (laughs) Every time they'd see me, and it was really funny. For like two years, every time they saw me, it was great. In 1 Kings 17, 1, the Bible says, now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead. He goes to the king and he says, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I now stand, there shall be no dew or rain these years except at my word. I just picture in tombstone, I just picture that Wyatt Earp kind of feel like you tell them that I'm coming for their false gods. Like I just picture that passion in him for in the next few months and years, no rain is going to fall. No, there's a lot of talk about the economy. I hear a lot of people talk about it. Every time that I go to get gas, I think about the economy. There are rising prices. There are supply demands. There are definite supply demands when it comes to furnaces for churches, I understand. Elijah, he makes this proclamation, and it's going to equal an economic shutdown. This was a uh, culture that was driven by agriculture. And so when these words are spoken, a famine is going to mean economic ruin. It would take tremendous faith to go before the king of a country and to speak those words with authority. And this is the way, again, that we see it playing out. I always write the God story because I'm a child who grew up with the great movies of the 80s that really define me. And I just picture it in some way like Elijah marches in and it's got that whole Rocky Balboa feel, right? Like the trumpets going off and everything and the battle's on and he's going to stand toe to toe with this evil king. And that's how it's going to go down. But instead, God does something different. There's a term that my wife has. Whenever we have a plan for something, she says, I go rogue. Well, God, in his own way here, because we think we know how it's going to play out, he goes rogue. He takes Elijah into a season of hiding. I mean, how much sense would this make at the time, right? And it's almost God is saying... There's so much that I need to do in you before I can begin doing the things through you. 
As Christians, we can begin to think that those times that we have, those spiritual mountaintops, are the defining moment in our life. But the truth is, what if it's just a chapter in our story? What if it's just a page in that chapter? God is saying, there's so much that I want to do through you. So Elijah goes through this prep academy, if you will, and there's three things that that God does. God, number one, takes him through a season of isolated pain where he's alone. Now, who wants that? He had no one to call out to. You know there were times that he was hurting. Second, or First Kings 17.2 says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here, turn eastward, and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. Now, the very place that God's telling him to go, do you know what it means? That word Cherith, it means to be cut off or cut down. He could have felt like he was cut off from the source. He could have felt like he was cut off from blessing. The word literally means to be cut down like you would chop down a tree. God was walking him through a season of breaking. Do you ever feel like you have been cut down? Do you ever feel like you have been humbled? Do you ever feel like God is trying to teach you a tough lesson? Sometimes there's a deep private humbling before there is a public use of God's people. But what's beautiful is what happens at Cherith doesn't stay at Cherith. There are times in seasons of pain, have you ever cried out and said, God, where are you? You know, it's the kind of thing that when we're in church, we're almost scared to make those kind of statements. But have you ever done that? Have you ever been sitting in a hospital room? Have you ever been sitting in your car falling apart? Have you ever been sitting in church when everyone else seems to be worshiping and you feel like you're crying out, God, where are you? If you have, then you're not alone. But God has always been near, and God has always been doing a deep work in you. Pastor Grishel, he told this story, and I liked it because it sounded like a story that I told because I couldn't figure out how it fit into the sermon. And so what's wild is I couldn't even figure out what he was trying to teach, and so I'm going to share it. So it has to do with this little bird, and this little bird, he was going to fly south, but he waited way too long to fly south. And so as he starts flying south, he runs into a snowstorm. His little wings start to freeze, and he has a crash landing on this road. He's being pelted. He's so cold. His wings are frozen. He couldn't fly. And right there on that road, he resigns himself to death, and he thinks, this is the worst thing ever. I'm going to freeze to death. And then suddenly, he says, on this same road, this cow comes walking down this road, and this little bird, he's in a rut, and he's freezing. And this cow, as he passes over, nature takes its course, and this big pile of manure falls onto this little bird. And this little bird says, I thought it was bad before, but here I am. I thought I was going to freeze to death, and now I'm covered in manure. This is truly the worst thing ever. And Pastor Craig goes on, he says, and then the manure with its warmth starts to melt the ice on its little wings. And so the little bird's right there underneath all that, and he just starts, he starts working his wings, and then he starts chirping, chirp, chirp, chirp. And then the story takes this other weird turn. It says, suddenly this cat is walking by, and here's the chirping. He pulls the bird out and eats the bird. I mean, this is a guy, this is what he really said. And I'm, I'm just drawn in. I'm like, this has got all, all the things. It's got the animals and the manure. Here are the three lessons that he takes from this, he said. Everyone who drops something on you is not your enemy. Number two, everyone who digs you out is not necessarily your friend. Number three, when you're in the manure, maybe keep your mouth shut. I mean, I love this, this guy. 
So some of you may feel like you are in the ravine. You feel like you are broken. You think that you have been cut down. You think that the things that you used to be able to depend on, you can no longer depend on. But God is whispering, I'm doing something in you. There is a preparing work that is going on right now. I am teaching you something in this ravine that I couldn't teach you any other way or in any other place. We always want the God word to be a good word. We always want that. And I remember right where Dottie is sitting, there was a word given in 1999. We were in a service, God was moving, a word was given. And the word was, there is going to be a shaking going to be a shaking. Oh man, that was a tough one. And so being a part of this church for many years on staff, when bad things would happen, I remember, and I'd be talking to Pastor Al, and I'd be like, Al, do you think this is the shaking? And something else would happen, I'd be like, Al, I'm thinking this is the shaking. And what's wild is when God does the shaking, you won't have to ask if you've been shook. Because there was a point in 2020 (laughs) no need to go into it, but all I can say is in 2020, I felt shook. And there was no need for me to pick up the phone to say, did you feel that or did you feel what was going on? God began to do something and I felt like I had a ravine moment right in the middle of total confusion, total anger. In that moment, you can have your ravine time when you feel like God's cutting, clipping, humbling. See, the shaking wasn't about the circumstance he was in. It was about his soul. There was a guarantee that no one knew how Elijah felt in this moment. No one might understand your ravine moment right now. There might not be someone who looks at you and says, I 100% get what you're going through. For Elijah, there were months that went by that he talked to no one, that he was with no one, where no one could understand the breaking that was going on. And there was this quote in this sermon, and and it bugged me. But then I immediately thought of another quote that went right alongside of it. Tozer, who has some of the greatest quotes ever, said, it's doubtful that God can bless a man greatly till that man has been hurt deeply. And Rick Warren has said that God never wastes a hurt. In the ravine, be encouraged. Because what feels like a breaking is a time of preparing. The second thing that God does is God takes Elijah through a season of total dependence on him. In 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 4 through 6, the Bible says, And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded ravens to feed you there. So he went and he did according to the word of the Lord. He went and he stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. So here he is all by himself, and God does a miracle. So you have a famine, and I don't know how much you know about water supplies, but brooks usually don't last during famines. But he has this personal drinking fountain in front of him. He has what would be like the first DoorDash ever with the ravens bringing him food every morning and every evening. And what's wild is when we get there and God is blessing us during sometimes, we don't even know what to make of it. God, what are you doing? Have you ever had one of those moments? where God blesses you and you like don't even know what to do with the blessing? What are you doing, God? 
And what God was doing was God was saying, you've heard those words, Jehovah Jireh. Now I'm proving those words, Jehovah Jireh, to you in this season. You may feel like every security, every prop has been kicked out from under you, but God is doing something. God's always going to be faithful, regardless of what happens. There's a story that was told. It was a single mother. In her apartment complex, she would get up and she would put on her praise music. And as she would put on her praise music, she would pray every day very loudly to God. She would ask for God's provision. Her next door neighbor was an atheist. And the atheist, whenever he would get a chance, would see her in the hallway and he would say to her, lady, you're a fool. There's no God. Well, one week came when there was more month left than money. And she's crying out to God and she said, God, you've always provided for me. You've always been faithful. I know you'll come again, but God, please provide for my children. So the atheist hears her praying and he'd had enough. So he gets in his car and he goes down to Aldi and he buys several bags full of groceries. He puts them outside her door. He knocks on the door and he runs. And when she came out, she begins to praise God. Oh, God in heaven, you're so good. Thank you, God. This is so amazing. The atheist at this point springs out of his apartment and he says to her, you fool, there's no God. God didn't do that. I did it just to prove to you that there was no God. And at that, the woman began to worship even more. God's always going to be your provider. When you can't depend on the things that you used to depend on, he's going to deliver. He doesn't provide minimally. The Bible doesn't say that he gave her three days supply or gave Elijah three days supply. He didn't give him a week's supply. He gave him a three-month supply. But the way that it came was enough for that day. And I think as Christians, we need to come to the place where we understand that God gives us enough for this day. Because it's like our head would explode if he dropped it on us all at once. You know, I was just thinking, like, if you have a dog and you save the dog outside, you know, a dog goes crazy. Imagine if all the outsides in that dog's life ever, you dropped on it at once. I mean, it would just explode because of all the excitement, right? You may be in a season where you're hurting, where you're alone, and you're afraid, but understand that God delivers enough for today. You've never felt weaker, but God said, I'll be your strength for today. You've never felt like more alone. Maybe you were someone who had a lot of friends and things changed in your life and God needs to remind you saying, you know, I, me and Abraham, Abraham, friend of God, I'm one of those gods that will walk beside you in those times that you feel lonely. You may feel overwhelmed and God's going to bring you comfort in this moment because there's a time of teaching, a time of breaking, a time of pruning and a time of humbling. The third thing that God does, he takes Elijah through a season of unconditional obedience. He was in isolated pain. He was in total dependence, but now he's in a place of unconditional obedience. First Kings chapter 17, verses seven through nine. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. After a while. Have you ever had an after a while moment in your life, in your walk? Like things are going along and then all of a sudden, whoa, I just had an after a while. Something just changed. The brook had dried up. There was no rain in the land. He says, go at once to Zarephath. Put yourself in Elijah's place. 
months by the ravine, daily water, daily food, and then things dry up. That's the point where you begin to ask God, where are you? Where are you? What's going on? What's the purpose of being here? Did I do something wrong? Did I miss you? Did I mishear you? I don't understand, God. Why would this source of what had provided for me begin to dry up? And someone's been asking that same thing in this house. Why is the thing that I've depended on for so long seemingly drying up? Elijah learns the same thing that so many of us will learn. God gives and God can take away. But when God takes away, there is a path of provision for each one of us. God may cause the brook to dry up, but maybe he's causing the brook to dry up because he's trying to give you the courage to step into the next season. Somebody's crying out, oh, brook, it's drying up, it's drying up. My job, you know, I had this job and I was insulated with all these people around me and one by one, they've disappeared. They've either been laid off or gone to new places. Things are changing where I work. Some of you, they're so big in the finance. You're looking at your 401k and it's going through like roller coaster seasons and you don't know what to trust in. Your brook's drying up. Some of you, your family, it used to look like a Hallmark Thanksgiving movie. 24-7, and now you look more like the reality show that you don't even want to watch. Truth, it's drying up. People will say, where God guides, he will provide. Where the Lord gives vision, he will give provision. I feel like it should be like provision ah, at the end of that. But when, when they say that, you know, when people preach that, there are times that God's going to guide by what he doesn't provide. The same God who can give the water can cause it to dry up to make you step into the next season. In your walk, this is going to play out. You may not have walked into the ravine with confidence, but you have gotten comfortable there. That provision that you thought was so strange, you're like, okay, no big deal. Thanks, bird. You know, you've gotten to that place in your life and God's about to switch it up on you. You don't have a personal point of reference of what God's getting ready to do. It's almost like God's whispering to our heart, are you able to see what's next if you're so focused on what is now? Go to Zarephath. Go to Zarephath. And what's amazing about this, it doesn't say, and God, he scheduled a week of personal training and explanations so that Elijah could acclimate to this order. No. No. We get so used to that kind of thing. God's like, go. And he doesn't understand. In this study, the karate kid was mentioned. You know, this idea, Daniel-san, Daniel-san, one day, he sees Mr. Miyagi beat the bullies up. Daniel goes to Mr. Miyagi, and he's like, you got to teach me how to fight, man. You know, and he's like, come to my house. I'll teach you how to fight. He shows up. He puts a wash bucket in his hand for the cars. Then next, he puts a paintbrush in his hand. Then next, he gives him sanding blocks to go sand the back deck. You know, and Daniel's about to explode. He's like, what's going on? I've come over here, you know, teach me how to fight. And all you've done is pretty much work me every day. You know, and all of a sudden in the Miyagi way, like he fires off that punch and he's like, I don't know, paint the fence or whatever. And, and Daniel does it and he blocks. And just there's that moment of surprise. And I feel like for so many of us, you know, we're here, we're complaining like, God, I don't get it. Like, I'm telling you to equip me for these great works and you have me doing all this other stuff. 
What if the other stuff was the preparation for the great works? And, and what's wild with this is Daniel's mind's blown, but I just think how many times in my life, like I painted in here, I helped paint, and I just got to bring that up. Thank God for Ben DeFiore, for Rodney Snow coming in here. Thank God for Big Tim, because they knocked this out. And so I'm painting, or whatever version of putting paint on a brush, I'm as good at sports as I am at painting, and... I find myself, a couple days later, I go to order food, I still got paint under my nails. It doesn't mean I'm dirty, it just means I didn't know how to get the paint from out from under my nails. And I feel like there's times with God where, like, we're ready for the fight, but we're still like, but there's paint under my nails for all that you put me through, God. And God's like, no, let's move, man. Let's move. It's time for the All-Valley Tournament. Let's go. I can't watch Cobra Kai. Not about that life. We all want the boldness to be able to deliver God's word with authority, but it's those follow-up assignments that can get us. So God causes him to go into a new place. God causes him to travel 100 miles across a barren land. He's directed to a widow that's going to take care of him. He had to humble himself to be able to do this. And so can you imagine as he walks up to this widow, ma'am, I'm really thirsty. Do you think I could get something to drink and, and maybe a couple of biscuits? And so this woman living in the wreckage of the famine that God used Elijah to speak into existence is gathering sticks. She's dying. There's a drought. She says, I have a son at home. I'm gathering these sticks so I can go back home and make a last meal for us because I have a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil. And once we do that, we're going to eat our last meal. Then we're going to die. But what's amazing is because of what God has done and is doing in Elijah's life, Elijah has the wherewithal to look at her and be like, no, you're not. And I think that this is an important part for those of us who have come out of the ravine. There is a God preparation that he has done that when you see a situation, he has given you a measure of faith to speak to impossible situations, and it's time for us to start speaking it. When you run into something, no, you're not. No, you're not. When you run into whatever the doctor says, no, you're not. When you run into whatever the finances like, no, you're not. And we need to begin to speak that because the jar didn't run dry. So the lady, she goes, she obeys, she makes the things that she's asked to make. And then she goes back again and it's there and it's there. The very one that was staring down the barrel of starvation had seen the salvation of God. He obeyed and God provided. He listened and God provided. So they are there every day. Go back, make another biscuit every day. Wow, it's still there. And then something terrible happens and her son dies. And when her son dies, there's an unprecedented miracle that happens. Elijah takes the body of that boy, lays it down, lays it against that boy, and it's, the Bible says three times he does this, and then he cries out, oh, Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. Then the Lord hears the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came back to him, and he revived. But what's wild is when he died, the mom freaked out, and the mom is like, what is going on? Is God judging me for my past right now? Did God send you really just to rub it in the kind of person that I've been? After this miracle happens, God took this man who was totally dependent on him to a new place, this man that was at the dried up brook, and he did it for a reason. The reason that he did that 
is because he was saying, I'm going to do more through you. This is the beginning of the more that I'm going to do through you. And this woman, when the young boy is raised from the dead, she makes a statement. She says, then the woman says to Elijah, now by this, I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. Here's what's amazing about this. In 23 short verses, Elijah goes from someone who's known from where he came to being a man that people know from whom he came. When it comes to personal testimony, there were a lot of steps between Lee College, Bab from Ohio, and being a lead pastor. I could stand and give the enemy credit for every trap he ever set, but I think I did a better job than him of being my own worst enemy. And when I read this in a personal way, it strikes me. Because the ravine times that we go through, there will be times that God will move that God will seek to use you in ways that you don't understand. There will be times when it is so not about you, but when people look, they see the power of God. I say this as an encouragement to everyone in here because I don't know exactly where you are. I don't know if you're questioning the process. I don't know if you're walking towards something that you have no idea what it'll look like when you get there. I don't know if you are faced with people that are just saying, are you in my life just to make it worse? Because that's how it sounded like this woman was talking to Elijah. But stand firm in the things that God has spoken to you by the brook. Stand firm in the things that you know are true. Stand firm in the power of Jesus Christ and speak life to impossible situations. Be willing. Be willing to go back to things that the world says that is dead and that's dried up. And be willing to say, I'm going back one more time because in faith, I know what my God can do. I say it because we speak these words, revival. But what revival is, it's not a feeling and it's not a service. It's not a few services together. It is this awareness of this heart that I know that I know who my God is. And so today as an encouragement to you, it's not over. God's not done. The worship team's going to be coming. Before they do, I just want to pray. I mean, honesty time. You know, we hardly do this in church because we get weird. Does anyone feel like they're in the ravine? Anyone feel that? 
And you're in a place where you're like, God, I just don't even know what you're doing right now. Any of those? I mean, honestly, this is honesty. I'll raise my hand for the first one. I'll raise it for the second one. I'll raise my hand for every question I ask. Don't be scared. You're not alone. And here's what's wild. You have a church family that surrounds you. When we say don't leave here the way you came, the depth of this altar, there is no way that it could be filled to the point where God doesn't have more. The things that we throw down don't intimidate God. The things that we don't know what to do with, it doesn't intimidate God. But I just want to pray blessing right now. Father, in this house, I pray that that word would get into our heads and into our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would let us know that we are not alone. I speak against condemnation right now in this moment. I speak against the shadows and the weight of the past because that does not define who your people are. And Lord, I pray right now that your confidence would well up inside of us. Oh Lord, not for a show but that we would be able to walk forward in you in the name of Jesus. I pray your hedge around each person in here, around each family in here. And Lord, I pray that individual revival will begin to wake us up at night. I pray that corporately you would wake us up at night. I pray that we would find ourselves calling out to you and speaking your glory in situations that seem dead and dry in the name of Jesus. I pray that there would be no intimidation and I pray that we go forward in you. In Jesus' name I speak it. You may stand.